This morning, if you got your Bibles, we are in Philippians chapter 2, and I really, really appreciated Robbie being willing to kind of step in uh, last week. Uh, you know, it was the start of our series. We've been in Philippians 1 in the spring. We're now Philippians 2 here in the fall. Gospel impact. But he says, Steve, man, I got this. He did such a great job uh, dealing with verse 1. We're going to continue on here in verse 2. But in case you haven't been with us, uh, really what we're talking about here actually goes back in the heart of it to really understand this idea of how the gospel is to impact us here, you got to go back to chapter 1 verse 27, which is really the beginning of this section. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And as we mentioned when we were there, Robbie mentioned again last week, the whole idea here is live as a citizen. Right? These were people who were literally citizens of Rome that are living in Philippi. And that's why Paul uses that expression. Live in a manner worthy of. You and I are citizens of heaven. That's our home. That's the heart out of which we've got to live here on this earth. And when you get to verse 1... Paul, uh, that Robbie talked about last week, there are four things here. They're the if statements. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation and love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any aff affection and compassion, really the better translation would be since. This is what we have in Christ. We have comfort in Christ, the encouragement in Christ. We belong to him, the security that's there. Since there is that consolation of love, that we know that we are loved by Jesus, since we have participation and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that camaraderie, that each of us has the Holy Spirit living within us, and since we have from the Father that affection and compassion. Verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. What we're going to talk about today is unity. Unity. And before we run on to those things, I want to kind of take a step back because I want you to be reminded that the heart of the shepherd, the heart of Jesus, is that you and I as believers would live in unity with one another. You see, Jesus' heart for us, his prayer for us, is that you and I would do life together in unity, in oneness, without discord, without disunity, without division, but we would live and work united. So John 17, Jesus, it's, it's the night that Jesus has had, he's been in the upper room, he's told them he's going to die, he's told them that they're going to, one of them's going to betray him. He is on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is in the anguish of his soul going to sweat great drops of blood, right? Because that night he is going to be arrested. In the morning he is going to be, he is going to be whipped and beaten. He's going to be then nailed to a cross. That's all that's going on in the midst of this. And while he's walking them to Gethsemane, he prays for not only them, he prays for us. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Specifically, John 17 
And the heart of his prayer is found in verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one as we are. That's his prayer. Now think about that. On the way to the cross, on the way to the scourging, on the way to now in his perfect self taking our sin upon him, his prayer for us is not that we're victorious. His prayer for us is not, you know, his prayer for us is that we would live in unity. This is a big thing. If you go back a couple hours earlier, Jesus is in the upper room in John 13, and he says, listen, a new commandment I've given you, that you love one another. By the way, loving one another was not new. It's, in the, it's actually in the law. The new part is this, that you love one another even as I have loved you. You now have to be my hands and feet because I'm going away. And oh, by the way, by this, all men will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Why is this so important? Because in your unity, in the unity of the church, as you and I as believers get along and we do this together, we reflect the very character of God. Remember, our God is a tri-unity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet he is one. Three persons, one Godhead, Trinity. God exists in a perfect unity with himself. And you and I, as believers now, as Jesus is going to heaven, we're left here as his ambassadors, correct? We're left here to reflect him to this world. So how do we reflect it? We reflect it in our unity. In the midst of our diversity, the fact that we see things differently, we're different people, we have different strengths, we have different weaknesses, but we live together in unity. Just as God, who is three, exists in a perfect unity. We reflect his character to this world a big piece. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Well, because of that, because of that, therefore would probably be the correct word, the enemy has put this in his crosshairs. In fact, you go back to John 17, he says this, that they may be that they may all be one, even as you, Father, in me, I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I've given to them. And he says it again, that they may be one. You and I are to reflect him just as we are one. And so, therefore, This unity of the believers has become really that point at which the enemy has decided to attack. Because if he can get us to not get along with one another, to sow discord amongst us, for us to pick sides, for division to come in, for there to be anger, for there can be hurt, then now all of a sudden we don't reflect God to the world. (laughs) And you don't have to go very far into the history of the church in fact 
Acts chapter 6 is all the farther you got to go. You get there. Now, you got to understand the church starts on the day of Pentecost, and man, they're having good days. I mean, one day, 3,000 get saved. On another day, 5,000 get saved. And maybe you're new to the church. Those are good days in ministry, right? The church is expanding. And you get to Acts chapter 6, and it says, Now at that time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. And every pastor and every former pastor begins to twitch. A complaint. Now what's interesting, we're not told if this is a constructive criticism because it's legitimate or if it's just grumbling. It says a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews were those that had grown up out in the Greek areas and now had come to Jerusalem. And it was against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And again, we don't know if it was really happening or it was just perspective. But there's complaint. And the problem with complaints is, is that if you don't deal with it well, it can grow into disunity. It can grow into picking sides. It can grow into getting people who see it my way. So now we see it against the other person. We begin, and you can kind of get the sense of this, to begin to read in motives. Ah, because, you know, I didn't grow up here. You know, that's why there's a prejudice here. We read in motives into the, the whole piece. And folk, don't miss this. How does this verse start? Make my joy complete. Wait a minute. Paul, who's writing this book about joy, right? Philippians, joy. In fact, Warren Wearsby in his commentary actually entitled it, Be Joyful. We've already seen back in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Verse 18, he's talking about being in prison and all this going on. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Even amidst the hard stuff, and I will rejoice. So don't miss this. So Paul, who talks about being full of joy, going through hard times, but he can still have joy, now looks at them and says, you know what? You need to complete my joy because of this disunity in your church. Because of this disunity, by the way, he's going to call it out by name in chapter 4. But because of this lack of unity, you're affecting me emotionally. You see, it's not just the good, good shepherd, the great shepherd who cares about this. It's still, it's the under shepherds too. I mean, I get this. I've been a pastor a long time. And I tell you, when, when two Christians get sideways with each other, man, it grieves my heart because I know them. I know them both. I know they love Jesus. I, I, and I can't understand why do they get sideways, but all of a sudden they're, they're not speaking to each other. And one's sitting over here and one's sitting over here. And now they're pulling people in to kind of see their side of it. And this disunity comes in and it just crushes the heart. And you've got to understand Unity in the church is crucial. It's, it's what Jesus prayed we would be. 
And Paul will understand that this church that he loved so much who had such a great testimony, but their testimony was being negatively affected because their disunity in the church. And man, it happens. It happens all the time. I mean, Satan has been, has just been so effective in this. I mean, I don't know. Did you, did you guys see the story this week about the guy who was just found on that desert island? Did you, did you see that? I mean, he'd been out there. He'd been like shipwrecked for like 20, 25 years. And, and finally somebody saw, you know, on this little island out there, uh, the fire. And, and so they pulled up and the guy was so excited. He said, man, this is great. I've been here 25 years all by myself. It's terrible. Let me go get my stuff. And so the, the guy rescuing and went up on the shore and there's three huts the guy said well who else is here with you he said no i've been here by myself he said well what's with the three huts he said well the first one's my house oh great well what's with the second one that's my church great what's with the third one he said that's my old church And man, you get to begin to think about the disunity that comes within believers and it's been under attack. And and I can remember back in my lifetime, even the first place where I saw this. And by the way, there are certain things that are not a matter of disunity. You know, through the years and the history of the church, the questions of the authority of scripture, the, the deity of Christ, the sufficiency of the cross, those aren't issues of disunity or not. Those are issues of truth. We're not talking about that, but we are talking about amongst believers who hold those truths. Man, the things that we allow not only to divide us, because we can have preferences. We'll we'll talk about that in a moment. We We can even agree to disagree. That's not a problem. But when it divides us, and I can remember growing up, I grew up a few years ago, and you'll all be surprised, but it was in the 60s and 70s, yeah, way back then. And, uh, you know, I was born and raised on the King James Bible. Anybody with that, you know, the old school field? That's why if I stand out here and a quote a verse, it comes out with these and thou's. That's, that's how I learned it. Which, by the way, if you're a parent, that's why you want to teach, the, you know, help your kids memorize Scripture because it will go with them. If I need to say it in the good language or the new language, I have to read it off the back wall because I, it's not how I learned it. But in the 60s and 70s now, they were starting to to do some new translations. And man, that created great havoc in the church. In fact, I remember, and it wasn't my dad, so I don't, I can't remember if it was another staff guy at Church of the Open Door back in Leary where I grew up and I was on staff or if it was a guest preacher, but they're preaching and they said, let me read this out of the New International Version. And a guy got up stormed out, said to the usher, and I'm going to try to sanitize this as best I can. But he said loudly for all within earshot to hear, I wouldn't use the NIV as toilet paper. Division. Hurt. You know, we've become divided over such weighty issues as, you know, how do you baptize somebody? How often do you have communion? Do you do it once a week? Do you do it once a month? Do you do it once a year? And then we sit there and we kind of wonder, 
what's happened to America that we've walked away from God? Could it be the fact that in our disunity, we have not reflected the character of God? I mean, okay, let's be really honest here, folks. You and I have grown up and we've been a part of the church the last 20 years, right? The 90s, the two, early 2000s. You know what the number one thing that has caused hurt and division within a church? Again, not that we have to all see eye to eye. We don't. There's nothing. But, but we've allowed it to cause us to look down on people and not speak to people and, and, and gotten people to our side and ascribe, you know, bad motives to people. It's been worship, Right? Do we worship him with the band or we do it with the piano? Do we do it with the lights up, the lights down? Do we do it loud? Do we do it soft? And, and, and I got thinking, you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven. And we're talking to the saints of the ages, talking about the battles we walk through. Try to explain, to, in fact, even people who live in this day and age but didn't grow up in America. I mean, I just had a, a we, we got a, pastor in our association who's been a missionary for like 20 years came back and they just caught me and said hey can we ask you a question I sense that maybe maybe our church has been divided about worship is that a thing I said where have you been for the last 20 years ago we've been in Europe it's not a thing there but can you imagine what it's going to be like to try to explain to the saints of the ages yeah yeah we had division because of how we worship Jesus like, what was the problem? Well, you know, some people wanted the lights on, some people wanted the lights off, and, you know, we got mad at each other, and we went down the street, and we did this. You see, this piece of unity is really, really important. And again, it's not that we can't have preferences, and it's not that we can't see it our way, but that we do it as believers in love. And he gives us three things here. It's actually four. Notice what he says. Uh, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, unified, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. If you take the first phrase and the last phrase, and Robbie kind of touched on this. This is kind of a literary device he's using. It's literally in the Greek. It's like the same exact phrase. So I'm just going to combine them. But there's three things he mentions. By the way, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to talk really quick right now. So hang on. Let's go. But the first thing is this. As those of us who are redeemed, we are to live with a specific mindset. This is what he said, the same mind here. One purpose. That's the heart of it. In fact, it really ties in back into verse 1 if there's any encouragement in Christ because we belong to him and we we have control over our mindset of how we think. Not to think as the world thinks, but think of those, uh, how we should as those who have been redeemed, that we have been changed, we've been made new in Christ. In fact, he's gonna actually say this in verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, this mindset of Jesus. That's what we are to have. Well, we're gonna explore it in a couple weeks, so I don't wanna go too deep into this, but just off the cuff, what would the mindset of Jesus be? If that's the mindset we're supposed to have, wouldn't it be a mindset of grace? That, hey, we're all kind of flawed here, and there's only one who's perfect is Jesus, and wouldn't it be a mindset of forgiveness? 
And wouldn't it be a mindset that, that realizes that what really is important is not the temporal comings and goings, but what's really important is the eternal and the fact that we are ambassadors for Christ and we reflect our God when we walk in unity? Oh, by the way, wouldn't it be the mindset, which he gets into in verse 5 here, of humility and serving one another instead of having our own needs and wants met? You see, the same mind, the same purpose is the mindset that comes out of the gospel that is shaped, the mindset that's shaped by the gospel, that we are forgiven, that God came to us with all of our, of our imperfections and he forgave us and he takes us just as we are. And the beautiful thing about that is that when we allow our mindset to be shaped by the gospel, we deal with one another in love and in grace and in understanding and forgiveness. Then we can have different opinions. Because we do, right? We, we, can, we can even disagree with one another. And it's okay because we don't get mad. We don't break fellowship. We, we, we don't try to get people to our side. We don't ascribe bad motives to you because we disagree on this. We just can agree to disagree. I see it a little differently. You see it. We're brothers. You know, we walk together arm in arm. Do you understand? That's why we've got to be of the same mind because ultimately it really doesn't matter that much, does it? And oh my, somebody asked me if I took a preemptive strike. Yes, this is a preemptive strike because we are entering in, I can't believe it, but you know we are entering into a new political season. Seems like we just had one, doesn't it? We are entering into another presidential year. We are in a country that is really polarized. And now it's not that we can just agree to disagree. We have to defame our opponents. Folk, can I just speak truth as best to understand? You know, there are lots of ways to solve problems. We've got problems as a country. We've got, we got problems with mental health. We've got problems with immigration. We've got problems with homelessness. We got, we've got issues, right? And there's different ways to solve the issues, right? And you may think one way, and I may think that's a dumb way. And I think my way, and you may think my way is dumb, okay? So, so the point is, we can agree to disagree. And it's okay. That doesn't make you a bad person or me a bad person. We can love one another. We can have the discussions. But what is so sad is that our politics now, it brings disunity even within the church. And oh, by the way, if you love America more than you love Jesus, then you've got a problem. We are to love America. Nothing wrong with that. But this is not our home. Our home is in heaven, and we have to love him first. And yeah, do we want to try to fix the problems here? Absolutely. We're, you know, we, we want to be those kind of citizens. But man, when we allow it to cause us to be polarized, to, to not speak to other believers, and to ascribe bad motives to them, because they, man, it's wrong. It's sin. A mindset that is shaped by the gospel allows us to agree to disagree. 
and still love each other. I love what Augustine said, in essentials, unity, the deity of Christ, the inspiration of scripture, the sufficiency of the cross, in non-essentials, liberty. Our God is the God of the rainbow, right? We can see different ways to solve issues, but in all things, love or charity. It's a great thing. The second thing he talks about is the unity of love. Not only that we be of the same, same mind, but maintaining the same love. If you go back to verse 1, this is the correlation to if there is any consolation of love. If you remember what, what Robbie said last week when talking about the consolation of love, it's the fact that we know that we're secure, but love is that relational element that we know that we belong to him. And so we have been loved by Jesus, right? Warts and all. He cares about us our imperfections. And so we should love one another the same way. So with the love that Jesus ministers to our hearts, we are to minister to one another. He accepts me the way I am. He's working to make me more like Christ, but he loves me. And so that's how I'm to love other people. As Paul says in Corinthians, that with the way that we have been comforted, we are to comfort others. The way we've been loved, we are to love others. We are to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And that's how you help maintain unity. First of all, you have the same mindset. It's a gospel mindset. The other thing is, is that you become the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. You love the way God has loved you. And man, the unity that that love brings is just huge. So we live in community with each other. And to be really transparent, I mean, I prefer being the one giving the love as opposed to having to receive it. But you know, as a family, we, we've, we've experienced this in these last weeks and months leading, you know, my dad's sickness and his death, his home going. And, and I wanna tell you, man, it's, it's just the love that comes from, from the family has just been huge to us. I mean, I don't know how many, I mean, just dozens and scores of, you know, told me or sent me a note or put it in a card. Man, we're praying for you. You ever heard somebody say, man, I can feel your prayers? And you kind of go, how do you feel prayers? Well, I can tell you how you can feel prayers. You know, last Friday or last Sunday night, and I'm standing up there at my dad's memorial to share the gospel. Man, that was hard. I felt your prayers. And the notes of encouragement and and yet the people who have served, you know, so last Saturday night, we had family coming into town. We thought, man, wouldn't it be neat if we got together, but none of us are in a condition to do anything. And man, we just had a boatload of ladies from the church said, you know what, we'll take care of that. And they made the most incredible meal for like 50 of us. And then we're meeting out my sisters and she doesn't have enough tables and chairs, so I was going to get them and get Rick to help me, and they heard about that, and they said, no, 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 we'll take care of it. And they drafted their husbands. Thank you, husbands. <laughs> Took tables and chairs out of there. And then we're, you know, we're trying to honor my dad, and, and Ron found out that we were trying to put together a bulletin just to kind of, and he said, listen, I can help you with that. And he jumped in, and he did that. Then the choir, man, the, the choir came up and sang and made such a beautiful part of that service and, and just people who love. And you all know me. I'm not a hugger, right? That's not me. That's why I have Tammy. She's my DH, man. She's my designated hugger. And I take her. People want to hug me. I just put her right there, you know, and, and we all feel warm and fuzzy. But man, 
So many have come and said, Steve, I know you're not a hugger, but I could give you a hug. And quite honestly, it's exactly what I needed. Man, the unity that comes as we love one another well, we've experienced it. Thank you. That's what the community of the church is supposed to be about. The third thing he says that keeps that is the unity of soul. He says, united in spirit. Again, you go back up to verse 1, it ties into the fellowship of the spirit. Robbie explained it, how we all have the Holy Spirit. And so there's this camaraderie, there's this, this tie together. And man, that, that's true. In fact, if you were to kind of give a literal translation of this, it would be together in soul. The man, we're in this together. You're not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. We are brothers. We are brothers in arms. We are, we are fighting for the kingdom of God together. We're both living Jesus. We're both sharing Jesus. We're both encouraging. I'm helping you when you're down. You're helping me when we're down. We are in this thing together. Man, that's the unity that God has called us to. It's a beautiful thing. It's the intimacy of togetherness. It's the intimacy of family. As we move together, walking this journey, folks, that's the unity that God wants us to have. That's the unity the shepherd is asking us to have. The A, we walk together with the same gospel perspective and mindset that we're loving and caring for one another, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus as brothers and sisters on our journey home. Now, having said all that, and uh, Jamie and Sarah are gonna come, they're gonna lead us in a closing song. Let me just give you just a couple takeaways. Number one, there's some of you that are not a part of that brotherhood because you have not come to faith in Jesus. That's where it begins. That's what makes you a part of the family. Number two, there's some of you that uh, honestly, you've decided I love Jesus, but I don't love the church so much. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've seen some of the dysfunction and you just kind of go, ah, no. Jesus' prayer is not that we would pull out and be individuals, but that we would be one. You know, we talk about it all the time, connect with others. You need to re-engage. Is the community perfect? No. But it's needful. His prayer is, is that we would do this together as one. Thirdly, some of you, as you sit there, you know brothers and sisters in Christ, and there's something in your heart that's not good. There's division. There's people you haven't talked to. There's hurt. Remember what Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar, but remember in your heart that someone's got something against you, leave your gift there, go make it right, be reconciled, then come back and give your gift. Would we been able to give today? Or is there something in your heart? You need to go make right. You need to ask somebody for forgiveness. You need to sit down and, and realize that somehow we've let stuff come between us. We can't. We are reflecting the character of our God to our world by walking united.